Hello and welcome to episode 263 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada, which is smoky as hell. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Yeah. Well, it's cloudy as hell here, but yeah, I'm sorry about the smoke, man. That sucks. Well, it's not nearly as bad up here at elevation as it is uh, down in the Central Valley, or I guess Oregon is even worse. I read today that 10% of the population of Oregon has been evacuated from their homes. Wow. Where to? That's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> my my buddy in Napa sent me, a, he's been texting me, sending me pictures hmm. of nighttime in the middle of the day because it's so dark. He said the forecast the other day was 86 and the actual temperature was 66 because it never like got light outside. It was just dark outside all day. Oh, wow. It's so smoky that yeah. it's actually cooling the the temperature there. That's quite a big drop, 20 degrees. It's the worst fire season in history. Uh, it's it's really like it's really crazy up here in Tahoe. They've been um, like evacuating people. They've evacuated campgrounds and stuff. Even when there were no fires around at all, they're just like preemptively evacuating. Get out of here. Yeah. We don't want to deal with it. We can't have people too many people because you get stuck in like the Tahoe basin. Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary, man. Anyway, I hope everybody out there is uh, in in the West coast is being safe. We need rain, Ben badly. Yeah. Um, Today on the show, we are going to talk about when is crunch time for your LSAT studies. Um, I can tell you right now that if you're trying to go to law school in 2021, crunch time was uh, a month ago or two months ago, um, but for sure right now. But if you're planning to take it, you know, if you're going to not apply until next year, when should you really start thinking about crunch time or even is that a thing? We're going to talk about what the words if true mean on the LSAT. Hmm. I was a little bit puzzled by the email request because it seems fairly straightforward to me, but maybe I'm missing something. Okay. Um, We can break it down for you. Sure. We have a uh, pearls versus turds. What is this tip about? This tip is about, oh, um, how to deal with unless. Okay. We have a fun fact about my alma mater, UC Hastings. As always, I'll take it as an opportunity to bitch about UC Hastings. And we have a question about turning a negative rule into a positive. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to do um, one logical reasoning question. So LSAT content heavy show for you today on the Thinking LSAT podcast. Yeah. This is going to air on Monday, September 14th. Upcoming events, September 23rd is already the deadline to sign up for the November LSAT Flex. Got to get your shit together way in advance if you want to try to take the LSAT. The October LSAT Flex doesn't start until October 3rd. So if you're signed up for the October test, you probably need to go ahead and sign up for the November test as well. Hate to shill for the law school admission council, but they don't give you any choice with the way their registration deadlines are so long. That test, the November LSAT flex is going to be uh, starting in November 7th, that week of November 7th. Yeah. You can email the show anytime. Um, Please do, by the way, email the show. We need your agenda items. So when you hear anything, news about the LSAT, funny stuff about the LSAT, please send your emails to help at thinkinglsat.com. If you're so inclined, you can send us a 
selfie when you do that. You might end up uh, on our social media for the show. Funny pictures are always good for that. Leave us a review on iTunes if you would like. Hit the five stars. Write a quick comment about what you like about the show. That really helps people find us. We're still, what, been now six or seven years in, 263 episodes, and we haven't paid a dime for advertising. So <laughs> we really rely on the audience to spread the word. Yeah. All right. You want to dive into this first uh, crunch time email? Yeah. It says, hi, Nathan and Ben. I'm a junior in undergrad, and you guessed it, I'm pursuing law. I've been using Khan Academy for practice, scoring a 162 on both of the practice tests I've taken, but I just can't keep to a schedule. Okay. It's boring. After finding your podcast in the episode, The Khan Plateau, I've realized that how I have been practicing isn't helping. I won't, however, just buy your program. $95 a month is a lot, and that's the cheapest and I feel it's too early to start crunching at that rate. I plan on taking the LSAT in spring or summer of 2021, giving me a six to nine months of giving me six to nine months of prep time. I think I could do well with only three months of dedicated studying. Am I wrong? And hypothetically, if I were to join your program in the future, what should I do in the meantime? Okay, we got. An asterisk after the word however. I was told that this is the best way to use however. That's correct. You put it into the sentence as opposed to at the beginning of the sentence. So I appreciate that. In any case. <laughs> and the double asterisk? The double asterisk. Besides join your program now, of course. Huh? What should I do in the meantime? <laughs> oh, like this is why you can't do asterisks. I'm, I'm <laughs> like disjointed, right? I have to jump down to the bottom of your email. I put it on the agenda. I specifically requested this one because I, th- I just thought it was funny. Caden, uh, I appreciate Caden's uh Caden is messing humor. with us because we, we've shitted on asterisks in the past. Don't use parentheticals, which Caden also does. Yep. Don't use footnotes. Yep. <laughs> like you don't need to put a footnote in your email. You could rewrite that and put it in the middle of the email. But I do... Th- I was amused at Caden's pointing out the correct use of however. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Ben is going to pat Caden on the back for that. That's great. And then the double asterisk of, you know, what should I do in the meantime? Besides join your program now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I don't know. <laughs> kind of silly. Yeah, that is funny. I have some thoughts. Well, my my advice is to join the program now. I don't, I don't understand why people have this like right. thought, oh, I'm going to take it in six months. No, start preparing now, and if you get ready, if it only takes you three months, as Caden is suggesting, then take it in three months. Your score is good for five years at the vast majority of schools. I remember there was a time that some schools would only accept it for three years, but even at the three-year time frame, that score is good for a long time. So... I'm not sure. The problem you run into, Caden, is that if you plan on taking it in the spring or summer of 2021 and you really give yourself three months and then you discover you needed four or five, well, now you're now you're pushing your application timeline back. It doesn't make any sense. If you're studying now, study. Right. Exactly. You, you, we don't know, Caden. I mean, I would love to think that you could do well with only three months of dedicated studying. If you're already at 162 and you haven't even started using the demon yet, 
I wouldn't be surprised if we got you into the 170s in one month. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. I mean, I can't guarantee that. But with a month or two or certainly three, if you're not knocking on the door of 170, I feel like we have failed you. If you start at 162 and you don't make it to 170 in three months, mm-hmm. what? I mean, at that point, I would question whether you were actually studying consistently because we see people that improve 20 points. Yeah. It's self-serving of us to say this, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. We have the best LSAT prep on the market at $95 a month. It's a screaming bargain. I also think it's a screaming bargain at the higher levels. When you start getting some of that live instruction, we see people just improving crazily fast. So I want to double down on Ben's advice. You don't need to decide in advance when you're going to take the test. Study hard in the demon for one month and then see where you're at. It's not like if you, cause he could always pause it. Right. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you don't have to continue your subscription. Yep. You can upgrade and downgrade your subscription depending on your needs for that window. Um, also, by the way, it doesn't have to start on the first of the month. Y'all <laughs> you can start your month on any day of the month and it'll, the, <laughs> the membership will last for until that day uh, of the next month. So, I would just say, Caden, give it a shot. You know, if you don't make significant improvement in that one month, I will personally refund your money. As long as you promise that that you're going to actually use it. Like, don't subscribe and not do it. Subscribe and do it every single day uh, or six days a week. And like, if man, if you don't make it to 170 very quickly, I I will be just completely shocked that that makes no sense. And then, then you can sign up for the LSAT and figure out when you want to take it. But once you take it, you might need to take it multiple times, Caden. So, um, you know, you got to plan for that as well. Uh, anyway, I hope that's all helpful. Yeah. I don't know how tight your budget is, Caden, and everybody's in a different financial situation and $95 a month could be an extraordinary expense yep. in your situation. But what I, what I can never get away from is the fact that if you're serious about law school, if you're not serious about law school, then yeah, be extraordinarily cautious about spending any money on the LSAT. But if you're serious about law school, the cost of LSAT prep, even stuff that's more expensive than ours, as long as it works, is... I just don't see how it's not worth it as long as you make progress because those points are worth thousands of dollars. And so really what you're doing is if you try to be too tight with your budget now, you can end up spending a lot more later. One point, Ben, is worth $10,000. I think that's pretty conservative to say that one LSAT point is worth $10,000. I think that's There's fair, a school especially right if you now, look at over the three-year period, yeah. Plus the yeah, interest. No, there's a school right now that Caden with a 162, he probably he's like gonna get waitlisted. Some mm-hmm. school somewhere. Caden's yeah. gonna get waitlisted with that 162. If he makes it to a 172, that same school is gonna give him a full ride, full tuition scholarship. Mm-hmm. And that's worth fifty thousand dollars a year, sixty thousand dollars a year. That's a 10 point improvement that's worth 
150 grand, even if you don't factor in the time value of money, the compound interest, even if you don't factor in how much more money Caden's going to make in his career, if he if if he goes to some fantastic school and has some like amazing law career. So again, totally self-serving of us to say that, but I'm very confident that we're delivering an insane amount of value for for the money. If you're serious about law school. Yep, you got to figure that out. If you're yeah, right. If if this is really the right path for you, then uh, yeah, you're you're not going to regret going with us. We're we're a lot cheaper than a lot shittier prep options, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, next email? Yeah, go for it. What does if true mean on the LSAT? That's the subject line of the email. Okay. What does if true mean on the LSAT? <laughs> I, I'm going to start by saying it doesn't mean anything different than it means in life yeah. or in, uh, <laughs> you know, in life or in the dictionary. But, um, hey guys, this is a really niche question, but I think other listeners might be interested. On LR, strengthen and weaken questions, I always see, quote, if true, and I don't know if I'm understanding the phrase correctly. I got this advice from a friend who tried to explain it. This is probably more suited to pearls versus turds, but I'm not sure. All right, then we have a couple indented paragraphs. This is the advice from a friend. A lot of these questions contain the words if true, but not all questions that have if true in them are strengthening or weakening the argument types. To make sure an if true question is really a strengthening or weakening question, Look for the identifying language that asks you to either strengthen or weaken the argument. Always assume that all the answers to strengthening or weakening the argument questions are true. Assume that the answers are true. Almost all these questions include the words if true in them to remind you that you're supposed to assume that each answer choice presents a true statement. Don't fall into the trap of trying to evaluate whether the answer choices are true or false. That's the advice. That's the end of the advice. I think that's good advice. It doesn't answer Jay's question, though. I don't under. I don't know if Jay's question is like clear. Because yeah, you're right. Like the answer is almost like uh, you want to make sure it's a strengthen or weaken question, as opposed to what does the term "if true" mean? It's almost like is Jay thinking that "if true" is associated only with strengthening right. making questions. Well that yeah, and that seems to be what the friend has said here. Yeah. Anyway, can you help me better understand this phrase and what effect it has on questions? Best Jay. Okay. Jay, you have to read the entire question. <laughs> you not can't just, just two read words the, of the question. Yeah. Yep. So your friend is the advice that your friend is giving you here is sound. Mm-hmm. Strengthen and weaken questions very frequently, almost always contain the words if true yep or maybe if valid if or valid or if, even even possibly it could say if assumed, if assumed or yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways that they can say it but it's the entirety of the question that's going to tell you whether it's a strengthened question or a weakened question or some other type of question but the words if true mean if true. I mean, that's just not like, it's not any special meaning. So I looked up in the dictionary 
some examples of how if is used and some examples of how true is used. But the definition of if is when it's introducing a conditional clause, it's on the condition or supposition that or in the event that. So an example is if you have a complaint, write to the director. So what the if is doing is it's saying, hey, if this thing is true, then you do this other thing. Similar usages are on the condition that or provided that or presuming or supposing, allowing. Any of those, by the way, could be used in um, actual question stems on the LSAT. True means in accordance with fact or reality, as in a true story. So the phrase, if true, means... Oh, you know what I'm wondering if Jay is doing? Uh If Jay is saying... Oh, if this answer is true, and then Jay is trying to figure out whether or not it is true. And maybe Jay's friend picked up on that and was like, no, no, no. Just assume that the answers are true. No, Jay's, the the last bit of advice from Jay's friend is don't fall into the trap of trying to evaluate whether answer choices are true or false. When it says if true in the question, Mm-hmm. The question is telling you that you have to accept each of the five answer choices as true. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, in accordance with reality or real, like you have to just accept them mm-hmm. when it says that. The thing that students miss is that there's two broad types, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ben, if we ever get around to writing our basic LSAT book together... I think we need to talk about two types of questions, basically top-down questions and bottom-up questions. Mm -hmm. But the bottom-up whole family of questions, it frequently says, if true, in the question. And what they're asking you to do is pick the answer that when it is true, you don't have to think about whether it's true. You just accept it as true. Does it strengthen the argument or does it weaken the argument or does it explain a paradox? And that is one of the things that students will do is they'll be like, well, but, but that can't possibly be true. Do an answer choice. Yeah. And you're doing the wrong thing if that's what you're doing on a strengthen or a weaken or a paradox question. I agree. The other entire different family of questions is top down where they're saying based on the information above, which one of the following must be true. And that's an entirely different operation because there you're not supposed to accept the truth of the answer choices. You're supposed to figure out whether the answer choices are true based on the information that you've read above. Yeah. Can I try to say that one more time without just try to say it way shorter? Sure. On a must be true question, you're trying to figure out which one of the answer choices has to be true based on the information above. On a strengthen or weaken question where it says if true frequently in the question, you're trying to figure out which one of the answer choices is going to change the facts above. And you don't have to care about evaluating whether it's true or not. You just think about whether it does something. For the sake of argument, you assume that it is true. Right. And say, if it were true, if true... (laughs) Would it strengthen or weaken the argument? Would it have an effect? If it wouldn't, or it does the opposite of what you're expecting, then it's wrong. All right. I hope my 
help there wasn't more confusing than uh, Jay's question in the first place. But I, I, uh, I hope we got you. If if we're correct, then in our understanding of what your question means, I think your friend gave you the advice you were looking for, which is just on strengthen or weaken questions. Don't bother thinking about whether the answer actually is or is not true. Instead, think about whether it does the thing that you're being asked to do to the argument. Yeah, the last thing I want to say here is Jay says, can you help me better understand this phrase and what effect it has on questions? One way to th- to like get a little more precise is what effect does it have on answer choices? Right. And... Um, in strengthened and weakened questions, it's telling you just assume for this question, for the purpose of this test, that these five things are actually true. But when the phrase is used in like a must be true question, it's a little different. Oh, totally. It says right, because if the statements above are true. Anyways, yeah. Well, right. It could say the statements above, if true, mm-hmm. most support, most strongly support which one of the following. Mm hmm. Well, in that case, the if true is referring to the argument. Yep, the passage. Or the mm-hmm. or the, the passage, yeah. Mm-hmm. If it says which one of the following, if true, would provide the most support for the argument above, then the if true is referring to the answer choices. So those are the two main differences, right? On a top-down question, we assume that the passage is true. On a strengthened question, we assume that the answer choices are true. Yeah. That's a better way of saying it. And I'll go back to my initial advice, which is, dude, you have to read the entire question. Like those two words, if true, by themselves, we don't know what they refer to. Yep. Okay. I think we finally got there. (laughs) You want to read this uh, pearls versus turds? Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and am currently taking your premium class on the demon. I noticed that you lowercased the demon. That's offensive. (laughs) I'm just kidding, obviously. Okay, you've helped me so much throughout this process. Being someone who cannot afford to pay hundreds of dollars for LSAT preparation, the affordability of the demon has been a blessing. Sorry, I'm just laughing because... Someone was just saying it's like outrageously expensive and someone else is It's saying, all relative. Yeah, <laughs> it's extraordinarily it's, it, affordable. Um, it is relative. Yeah. Okay. This evening I was struggling with the replace unless with if not rule. I figured out a much easier way to explain this to students. Simply negate the first part of the sentence that comes before unless and keep the second half as it is. It really is as simple as that. You can still keep the rule unless equals if not because... Since if is the first part of the sentence, then in an if-then clause, you can just not the if or negate the if. Okay. Uh, turd. Instant. <laughs> Instant turd. You want to hear my devastating argument? Go for it. What if the first word is unless? Uh, actually, I don't see a problem with that. She said, simply negate the first part of the sentence that comes before unless. Yes, you'd have to do you'd have to have everything after the comma in your sentence. Mhm. Is that the, really an easier way? I mean, I'm I'm glad you understand it that way, Ariana. 
And we probably need to have multiple different ways of teaching it for people who don't catch on to one or the other way. That said, this this ain't how I'm teaching it. I, I don't want people to have to rearrange the sentence first and then negate the part that comes before the unless and keep the other part the way it was. I don't. We can do it both ways, right? Let's tweak it. So basically every unless clause, every, sorry, every unless statement, sentence, God damn it. Every unless (laughs) sentence um, has two clauses, right? And if you negate whichever one comes first and leave the other one alone and you make the first one your if clause and you're fine. The problem is you have to make sure to make the first one your if clause. It's super confusing to do it this way. I'm sorry. It, you know what the best way is what, to do what, it? What's better? I mean, I think unless is just something that a lot of people struggle with. Like sometimes right. they I think that I think that there are three there are three three phases of unless awareness. Okay? <laughs> The first one. <laughs> this is isn't to, more complicated. <laughs> no, because the first one is to get the fuck out of your head and ignore all of this crazy technical bullshit, and just realize that you you use the word unless all the time in real life, and it's this is why I don't really like teaching a lot of the like keyword semantic related mm-hmm. conditional reasoning stuff. Mm-hmm is because you can figure out what the trigger on the rule is without any of this technical mumbo jumbo. I mean, listen, if I say, unless it rains, California is fucked. Okay. Without all the technical language, what's the trigger on that rule? What's the event that is going to let us know that another event is going to happen. If it doesn't rain. Yeah. If it doesn't rain, we're fucked. So unless it rains, we're fucked means if it doesn't rain, we're fucked. And you don't need any of this unless equals if not. You don't need any of this negate the first part of the sentence that comes before unless and keep the second half as it is. Or people say that even in more complicated ways, right? People go, negate the first part part, and that's your sufficient condition. And then the second half is the necessary. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But the trigger on that rule, the thing that's going to let us know another thing is that if it doesn't rain, we're, we're going to, then I know for sure that we're going to be fucked. Cause you said, unless it rains, we're fucked. So the first stage of unless awareness is to just forget all of these fancy rules and all the fancy terminology and just think about, What's the trigger? What's the thing that if known is going to let us know another thing? And we use this language in common sense all the time. So, you know, I'm going to have to push back on your first rule of, what'd you call it? Unless awareness? The first stage of unless awareness. Yeah, the first stage of unless awareness. And the reason why I have to push back on this is that I... I agree with you on that idea for so many things. I mean, that's kind of what the demon, I think, stands for, right? Like, right. let's drop a lot of these technical hurdles yes. and so forth. Yes. My concern about the word unless is that I feel like it's it's one of maybe maybe 
two or three. I have to think about it, but at least with unless, I, I would feel like it might be an exception to the rule. And I think that's because, this is my theory, of course, this all falls under the speculation of the Thinking LSAT podcast, but I think that a lot of us were raised by parents who used unless incorrectly. So the example I give all the time is when someone says, you can't go outside and play or you can't leave the dinner table unless you eat your veggies. And then people mistakenly get the message that if they eat their veggies, they can then go outside. Yeah. And so then they have this like incorrect usage that's become natural for them. That's that's fine. Okay, you can't go outside unless you eat your veggies. Yeah. What that means is if you don't eat your veggies, you can't go outside. I have no I have no problem. I didn't have to do any if not. I didn't have to do any negate the one thing and negate and whatever the other. My parents didn't go to college and my parents do not use language accurately at all. I never had a problem with unless the very first time I saw the LSAT, I never had any problem with unless. And that's why we have stage two, Ben, and stage three of unless awareness. Oh, okay. Yes. Continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, cause you're right, Ben. You're of course you're, you're right. You're technically right. But boy, more than anything else, I don't want to give people the message that this shit is harder than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So like, My problem with 99% of all other LSAT prep is that they convince people that they have to be scared of shit that they probably understand just intuitively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your example is a perfect one. You might – I would and I think many other people would read the rule. You can't go outside unless you eat your veggies and they would go immediately – Oh, so if you don't eat your veggies, sorry, kid. You know? Yeah. Or they would go, so if I see you outside, I know you ate your veggies. Mm -hmm. Those are both correct ways of understanding the unless. And they don't have anything to do with any of these rules and semantics and all that shit. But if that doesn't do it for you, or if you want to double check, I think the second stage of unless awareness is to just replace unless with if not. So... You can't go outside unless you eat your veggies. The unless means if not. So if not eat veggies, then the other, whatever the rest of the sentence was, whether that came before or after, doesn't matter. Just replace unless with if not, if not this thing, that's the sufficient condition, then the other thing. Cool. And then and only then would I go into Ariana's whole, maybe I can upgrade this to a tie. Mm. if we make it stage three of unless awareness, but I would prefer that people get there on phase one or phase two. Are they phases or are they stages? I can't remember stages stages. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just more willing to help people into or out of, (laughs) I don't know how you want to talk about these lower stages because I feel like unless tends to lead to like situations where people intuitively interpret it incorrectly and are 
extraordinarily confident in their answer. And I, I agree would, with you. I would say that one thousand percent. Yeah. But <laughs> I agree with you one thousand percent. And yet <laughs> ain't nobody out there who scores one seventy five who actually spends time on stage phase two or phase three of this shit. It's just not it's just not a thing. The people who the people who score really, really high are going to intuitive, intuitively understand this, or at least eventually they're going to get themselves to this to the spot where they're going to intuitively understand it in the vast majority of circumstances. Yeah, I think you're right actually about that, and I think I think that um, that's kind of what happened to me because I feel like when I say I'm less sentences now, and then I think about what they mean, it makes sense to me, right? It's not just like even if it's weird shit, like I like making up random unless sentences in class because sometimes the LSAT's talking about subject matter that people are not familiar with. Or completely abstract stuff. Yeah, like it will rain unless it is not cold and people are like, right, right. what the... Yeah, and right. it, so anyway, um, but I think by doing it and then confirming and being like, okay, yeah, that's the correct interpretation, it became intuitive even yes. in the abstract context. Yes. So. The last thing I want to convince people is that every time they see the word unless, they have to go through some complicated translation process. Now, if, you, if you've gotten burned before, like if you've missed actual real LSAT questions, then okay, there's something there that you're missing and maybe you need to, in your review process, you need to go through a couple you know, examples and go, go through a couple different phases and or these stages, try out a couple different ways of understanding unless, that's fine. I mean, this is, this is one of the most technical things we ever have to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even still, I would much prefer that people just attack the LSAT in a natural, intuitive sort of a way. When they miss a question, then they can get into all this semantic bullshit. But I do not want to convince people that they have to do uh, some complicated technical shit that they really don't have to do in the vast majority of circumstances. Like, they, yes, there are going to be one or two questions where they're going to use it in a particularly tricky way. Fine. You don't need to worry about those, really. Not until you miss them. Once you miss them, then you need to worry about it. But you don't need to then have a thing like you're now super gun shy about every time you see the word unless you get out your fucking slide rule and start doing like complicated calculus <laughs> on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the demon brand in a nutshell, right? Is like, please don't overcomplicate this shit. And I don't know. I agree with that. And I don't know if, if we're – 100% on the same page and we're saying the same thing but in my mind I look at the test as let's teach this as all intuitive and I might unless make, you uh, miss a question <laughs> unless you miss a question um, I, I, the two exceptions I think I would make are unless and only if where I might ex- only if is even sure. easier but I would explain sure. like the technical rule with the goal that eventually it would become intuitive. And so it's like you you go back and forth between like what your intuitive understanding is, and then maybe you get a question wrong and you look at the like the technical interpretation of unless or only if, and then you're like, oh, and then you do that enough to the point where you don't have to verify it through a technical rule. But by that point you also could if you ever got 
nervous. Um, I think we're saying exactly the same thing. This is for sure the difference, though, between a practice-based teaching approach and a theory-based teaching approach. Um, we are firmly in the practice-based camp. Do questions, then review the ones you've missed, figure out in the certain cases where there is a bit of theory that you need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you, f- you can figure that shit out. When the, the, the other, and I mean, I just think it's more common sense way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's an easier, more fun way to do it. The complete other theory is, oh no, we're going to have you read a 300 page book of techniques and strategies and theories. And, you know, we're going to warn you of all these pitfalls in advance, mm-hmm. then start doing real questions. Yeah. Uh, I would, I can't, uh, there's no way I could do that. Not for me. And a whole host of other like rules. So, yeah. Oh, it just like, the, I mean, no, like people who have these like complicated technical primers that they want you to read before you start, it's just that it, it, it totally stifles people who could have scored 165 on their first practice test without doing any prep or any theory or anything. Yeah. I mean, because that's like ultimately my real message here, right? There are people, many of them, with no technical training, no formal logic training, nothing like that. But they just score 165 on their first test. Well, then how tricky and how technical can it possibly be if there are these people who intuitively do that well? Yeah. You know? Well, it reminds me of the company that shall not be named. Um, Oh, God, no. We cannot name them. (laughs) But they have that list of like 80 some odd flaws, right? And I remember some student showing it to me and saying like, here's this list. What do you think of these flaws? And I'm like, honestly, I I don't know what two thirds of these are referring to. I could guess. I, I have a sense of what they might be referring to, but there is no way <laughs> that I have any clue what they're saying. And when I work with students like one-on-one, it's like, yeah, this is a correlation to causation flaw. You should know that one. I'm going to know that one by name. But they're like, well, what's this flaw? And I'm like, it's just a jump. You know, the conclusion brought in some new idea. I don't have any other sort of name for that. You see how that's fucked up. And they're like, yes. And it's like, right. that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. And and you, as a professional LSAT teacher who scored in the 99th percentile more than a decade ago, and this is your life's work, and you read that list of flaws and you're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what these are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but can you imagine as a novice, you're like, oh, well, no, I I can't take a practice test yet because I have I'm to not, I'm only sure familiar read. with 30 of the 80 listed flaws. And there's got to be more and than that too. It can't even possibly be an exhaustive list. Yeah. Because they could always come up with some other new bullshit argument. Mm-hmm. And then have an answer that just describes the bullshit. Yep. They did this bullshit thing. There's infinite ways to bullshit, Ben. Trust yep. me. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was that was a fun discussion. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, we need to cut that and put that into our – we have a lesson on Unless yeah. in the Demon. And hopefully that podcast snippet will make it in there. Oh, dear God. Um, fun fact about UC Hastings. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Thank you for the podcast and the demon. Using these resources, I've been able to raise my 151 diagnostic to an average of 167 on prep tests. 
Nice. I'm currently working on raising my average into the 170s and will be taking the official test in November. Awesome. Um, 20 points is not out of the question. Not at all. Yeah. I'm writing to share that Kamala Harris, who is currently running for vice president alongside Joe Biden. Did you know that, Ben? <laughs> Wait, who? What? <laughs> yes, I Attended did know that. <laughs> the show's favorite law school, UC Hastings, exclamation points. Matt, you got a lot of exclamation points, man. I'm, just, I'm glad you're enthusiastic. Um, Matt should have put scare quotes around favorite there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's scare quotes in the next line, though. If Biden and Harris win in November, Hastings will have the, quote, claim to fame. Wait, that's not a good use of those quotes, though. That's a bad use of the quotes, because you're not trying to say it's not a claim to fame. Of course it would be a claim to fame. Yeah, they would have a claim to fame. I mean, unless you're shitting on the idea of having the first female president in U.S. history, which I'm sure you're not. Hmm. Okay, we've got to edit for Matt. But anyways, Mm -hmm. we get the point. Yes, if Biden and Harris win in November, Hastings will have the claim to fame of having the first female vice president in U.S. history as an alum. I'd also be willing to bet they would never stop talking about it. Thanks again, Matt. Ooh, that's true, right? We would get a, <laughs> oh, we would get a long email from Fagman. Yes. About Kamala. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they will never stop they will never stop talking about her. Um, yes, it's great. Uh, I hope it happens, uh, even though I will have to cringe every time Hastings starts talking about how they launched the career of whatever, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And have a fundraising event for it somehow. God, yeah. Speaking of that, did you, did you ever even see this? The, the the subject of this email did you you must have missed this no did it go straight to your spam i i don't think i saw it yeah do you filter all of my emails and send them straight to spam <laughs> I, filter <all>. <laughs> <laughs> I filter them all yes okay check out this this was a subject line that came from my alma mater and least favorite law school uc hastings okay i'm gonna i'm gonna paste it in here under matt's email yeah that's the subject Uh, (laughs) special recent alumni price dash wine with UC Hastings. You know what that is, Ben? That's somebody that doesn't know how to use an M dash. Not at all. Yeah. That's a devastating dash. That's the, that's the, that's the devil's dash. They fucked up on that. It's also just like an overly wordy subject line, right? True. Recent special special recent alumni price? No, they need to kill special and recent or special. (laughs) They could kill kill recent. Yeah. And then they need the big dash. What they're trying to say is special alumni price on what now? Mm -hmm. On wine with UC Hastings. So they're trying to sell you wine with UC Hastings. (laughs) And you're getting a special recent alumni price i'll read you a little bit of the details okay okay um join our very own Catherine hall 71 she graduated from hastings in 71 on a live zoom wine tasting (laughs) Catherine has selected three of her favorite current releases for our uc hastings alumni but in order for the wine bottles to be shipped to you in time for tasting blah 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 click here to register now chancellor and dean Dean David Fagman will be joining Catherine to taste the wines on Zoom and enjoy conversation. 
Please join us for this unique fundraising event to support the law school. It is sure to be a magical and delicious evening. This is the type of shit that you get if you pay Hastings $50,000 a year to go there. <laughs> you get invitations to expensive wine tastings with Fagman. Um, Wait, this is a special price? Yeah. Oh, while this is a fundraising event, we wanted to make it more accessible for all our grads, including those of you who have recently graduated. Please see the new UC Hastings recent alumni pricing, previously $500, colon, bullet point. Oh my gosh. $250 donation gets you a three-bottle package. There's a cab, a Pinot Noir, and a rosé. And then it has this whole lengthy four paragraphs of an advertisement for this Mendocino winery. Or sorry, she grew up in Mendocino. The halls, they are in Napa Valley, of course. <laughs> and it's just three bottles of wine. It's, a, oh it's three gosh. bottles of wine for $250. Oh, that's a special and, price. It's called well, a special and you ripoff. also get to drink wine with Fagman on Zoom. <laughs> that should tell you what that should be <laughs> you should they should have to pay you to endure that <laughs> i got a better offer for yeah. i got a better offer for all our demon subscribers yeah go to trader joe's <laughs> get whatever wine you like i personally do not hate two buck chuck at all <laughs> but go to go to trader joe's Get whatever fucking wine you want. You want to be fancy, be fancy. I don't give a shit. And you can come to class in Zoom with me and drink wine as much as you want. <laughs> That's the one really nice thing. I love how I'm watching in the in the <laughs> gallery view. I love watching my classes and seeing everybody with their glasses of wine in classes. <laughs> I've been noticing delightful. that more and more actually. I was I was doing office hours on Tuesday in and I was hours, like, right? yeah, like like what's what's going on? There's really this like trend of <laughs> people drinking their wine and so openly they're just like duh, duh, duh. Hey, like, they're at home. Yeah. They're you know, they're they're enjoying um, some entertainment. I mean, hey, our classes are definitely 50% entertainment. Like I've I've always been like that because I want to make LSAT studying as l- least painful as I possibly can. And so, yeah, do whatever you got to do to uh to to relax and enjoy yourself, especially in the middle of a pandemic, apocalyptic fires, dumpster fire in the White House. Oh god, I mean just <laughs> Like, it's a fucked up, strange time. And if you need a glass of wine to get through it, uh, I'm all all in favor. Not for a $250 donation to UC Hastings, though. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a special price. <laughs> That's a special price. It was 500 That's why they could I wonder if they... <laughs> they couldn't do say discount. Do you know what discount. I guarantee they did not do? Hmm. They did not. Anybody who had signed up for 500 bucks, mm. there's no way they gave those people 250 back. <laughs> No, because they're reaching out to their less fortunate alum, as they say. Yeah, that came to me, and it said, and it especially are something something recent alums. I mean, I graduated <laughs> in two thousand eleven. <laughs> they're having trouble selling out the event. 
They're going to be embarrassed because their 71 is not going to have a large crowd with Fagman. I've thought about unsubscribing from that 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 list. It, it's just it gives me too much comedy. <laughs> I, I can't I can't unsubscribe. <laughs> but it's like I, I will say to them, hey, Hastings. If I was ever going to donate money to the school, I would have started a long time ago. Uh, you're not you're not going to get a goddamn dime out of me. Um, but they're not going to keep asking. They're not going to stop asking, Ben. They're never nope. stopping. Nope. I think they might be in the any publicity is good publicity school of mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Fag- Fagman seems to open his like heart to <laughs> so many people. <laughs> And his like thought process, you're like, really? That's what you were thinking? Okay. Um, <laughs> glad to know you're an open book in some ways. Anyway. Okay. Uh, that was uh, that was Matt. Thank you, Matt, for writing in. Um, yes, I hope Kamala Harris is indeed the first female vice president in U.S. history. That would be one bit of progress uh, <laughs> in an otherwise very shitty year. Yeah. You want this next one? Yep. Hey, Ben and Nathan. Uh, The subject line, by the way, is turning a negative rule into a positive. Hey, Ben and Nathan. Before I get into my question, I wanted to say a huge and heartfelt thank you for the demon and the podcast. Aw. Wow. It's like we've (laughs) chosen these emails just to... This show is getting... Right now, it's too much (laughs) shilling for the demon. All right. Is there a question here? Yeah. Uh... I am curious what she said, though. Patty says, I signed up for the LSAT about three months ago and muddled through the process of studying and just figuring out shit on my own for the first two months. I thought I was doing okay until I found the podcast and then the demon. I realized then how little progress I was actually making on my own. I am so grateful I found you guys because what I needed was someone shepherding me through the studying and also the bureaucratic nonsense of LSAC. Hmm. Cool. Hey, that's helpful. Side note. Yeah. You can't get your score now until you have your LSAT writing completed. Yes. You're also aware that some students have had problems getting connected to the LSAT writing system. Ah, uh, yes. So and now so their scores there's are not a reason. Being... Hmm. Well, there's a reason to, to, to do the LSAT writing as soon as they will let you do it. It's very easy. You shouldn't worry about it. You can watch a 10-minute video and just immediately take it. There's no no reason to worry about LSAT writing except that it is now a necessary condition for your score release. Remember when we were talking on the show about the proctor issue and how they should just record everything? Yeah. Okay. They do do that for LSAT writing. LSAT writing is not live proctored. Oh, wow. Is it through their own system or is it through ProctorU as well? Through ProctorU. Oh, Okay. They really need so to Proctor U, it, ditch Proctor U, I think, personally. But anyways, okay. Then it would be another shit show when they try to <laughs> get connected to some other shitty vendor. I mean, no, I no, know. I'm saying they should do it. They need I, maybe, do it themselves. Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe they can't. I don't know. But you just record it. Gosh, they already yeah. have the well, system anyway, for LSAC. Yeah. Okay. They, so, so they do do this. Yeah. You have to you have to like pick up your laptop and like show around the room and show both gonna sides cheat of your scratch on LSAT paper. Because <laughs> you're gonna cheat on LSAT writing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they clearly don't care because they're not doing live proctors, they're doing yeah. recorded proctors. But anyway, get this. When you're done with it, mm-hmm. it's submitted, but it's not accepted yet. And they're running 
like a seven to 10 to maybe even 14 day, in some cases, backlog on accepting the LSAT writing. Because they want time to review the tape? I think so. I think they've, it, they have built, and I know you don't like it when I say this word, but it's such a useful word. They have built an asynchronous process, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. you don't have to have a simultaneous proctor. You have an yep. asynchronous proctor. You record your shit. Sure. The proctor goes in there later. Yeah. I'm sure they just scan through it and say, you're good. Yeah. But now that is backlogged in some cases, 10 days or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so what that means for people who took the most recent flex, August flex, yeah, if they haven't already done their LSAT writing, their score probably is going to be delayed, even if they do LSAT writing before the score release date. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I found it another amusing data point in the just horrific shit show rollout of the of of Proctor U and all this mobile stuff. I, I mean, I understand that they are dealing with some unprecedented times. Just, I just, with the amount of money they charge, I just don't see why they haven't been able to do it better. I agree. Devote some of those resources to fixing these problems. Um, how hard is it? You know, for one thing, go in there right now and just hit accept all on all of your whole backlog of LSAT writing. No one fucking cares. Yeah. If someone managed to cheat on LSAT writing, good on them. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Nobody's getting admitted to law school because of their LSAT writing. Nobody's getting a scholarship to law school because of their LSAT writing. But they are causing... getting denied <laughs> because of your failure to acknowledge their LSAT writing. Well, they're getting delayed in their applications and they're getting caused crazy amounts of stress because of the stupid LSAT writing. <laughs> I mean, one quick fix is get rid of the requirement to have LSAT writing. Just, just, just forget about it for now. Like you're having too many other problems. Get rid of that one for now and reinstate that later. Once you fixed all your other fucking problems <laughs> or just approve. Them. Anyway, that's easy enough. Just approve them. Yeah. I, right. I mean, I just proposed five different solutions in a four minute rant. So <laughs> Just, you know, the thing is they don't, I just don't think they understand what kinds of stress they're causing their customers. I feel so sorry for these kids. They already have to wait three weeks to get their scores. And now if they didn't remember to do their LSAT writing well in advance of the score release deadline, now they're just not going to get their scores because there's this huge backlog. And, you know, meanwhile, other people already have all of their applications in for this cycle. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I interrupted Patty's email. No, no, that's right. Patty continues. I wish I would have known about what you guys do before. I don't think I have enough time now. I have. I only have had one month with the demon to get the score I was naively really hoping for when I started studying. I don't know if you were naively hoping for it, but maybe you were naively hoping that it could be done as the way you were doing it. I, I guess I don't know what you mean by that. But, However, I have the confidence now that if I do have to take the test again in November, that having the additional time to study with the demon will be what I need 
to achieve my goals. Awesome. Well, good luck. Thanks, Patty. That's yeah. nice of you. Yeah, I hope you do well. Um, so getting to my question, you spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about reasons not to go to law school and your willingness to talk anyone out of it. I have taken this to heart and I have thought about my reasons for law school and my reservations about it as well. In Logic Games, Ben often talks about making a negative rule into a positive. So can you do that for me on this subject? What are some valid and real reasons that you think someone should go to law school? I have listened to quite a few episodes of the podcast, and every time I hear you guys talk about law school not being worth it, I think to myself, what is the opposite side of that coin? Again, thanks for all you do. Praise the demon. Well, I guess my first reaction is if you want to be a lawyer and you want to practice law and you know that's the career you're destined to fulfill, then law school is necessary. You you have to go to law school. I mean, there are ways around it, like through an apprenticeship or something like that, but that's, that's not going to happen. Nope, not in real life. Not in real life. So that's a positive, like it's a necessary condition for your job, so you better go do it. Law school is challenging. This is not as great of a reason, but you can you can – become smarter by actually working your ass off in law school and trying to understand what they're saying. Uh, if you do well in law school and it, you do well, then you've also taught yourself some stuff, I think. But I wouldn't say it's worth $300,000 or $150,000. So um, it's really a side benefit for those who need law school. Yeah. It's a necessary step toward becoming a lawyer in the vast majority of cases. Uh, sure, maybe one-tenth of one percent of lawyers do some apprenticeship, whatever bullshit, but I, like, I've never met anybody. So um, the vast majority of people have to go to law school in order to practice law. As far as whether a law career is the right career for you, I would say if you don't have any other ideas about what you want to do with your life, if no other opportunities – are presenting themselves. If you have a burning desire to practice law, I mean, if you can't, if you can't sleep at night, unless you become a lawyer, then you have to go to law school. But do, do you know lawyers? Do you know a lawyer? And can you, can you, Come up with the name of a lawyer whose career you would like to replicate. Kamala Harris doesn't count. Okay, you're you're not going to the the odds of becoming a senator and a vice presidential nominee are exceedingly long. And now, do do you want to be a prosecutor? Because that's what Kamala Harris was. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to go to law school and practice law? Do you want to be a prosecutor? Because that's what she did. If that's you, if you if you know prosecutors, you know how much money they make, you know how hard they work, you know how hard it is to get that job, and that's what you want to do, okay, then law school could be the thing for you. Yeah. But if if you haven't done that due diligence, if if you don't know who, if you don't know what type of lawyer you're trying to be, and I mean like a real world person, a person, I think you need to go back and listen to our episode where we had Rachel Gezer say on, make some 
cold inquiries, send a bunch of emails, make some phone calls, network with people on LinkedIn, meet some lawyers. I know lawyers. I can introduce you to lawyers. We need to start having more lawyers on the show, by the way. We need to get Nikki Black back on here and get get other like actual lawyers on the show so that people can talk to lawyers and figure out whether this is the thing that they actually want to do with their lives. I will give you some characteristics of lawyers, though. Are you the smartest and hardest working person of all of your friends? Because if not, uh, (laughs) that's what lawyers are. I mean, they are exceptionally smart, exceptionally hardworking, exceptionally well-prepared. Do you love to work? Like, do you want to work your ass? Did you get really good grades in college? Hmm. That's the kind, (laughs) yeah. Those are the kind of people that tend to do well in law school and as lawyers. When you show me a 3.0 or lower, I look at that and I go, probably not. Like, I I just, I immediately think probably, it's probably not. Yeah. Because now, of course, people are going to write in and, well, when I was an undergrad, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm talking about though, like sort of, and I know that you went through some shit back then. You don't need to explain it all to me. I've seen people with low GPAs become successful lawyers, but, but the majority of people with low GPAs just like, they don't want to work that hard. Yeah. And you have no idea what you're in for. Like undergrad was hard for you. (laughs) Law school is going to be 10 times harder. It's all of just only the smartest, hardest working people that you went to school with in undergrad. Those are the people that are going to be in law school and you have to compete with them on a strict curve for grades. Yeah. And the reason why you have to do that is because when you get into legal practice, it's even tougher. Yeah. So I know Patty wants us to turn a negative rule into a positive rule, but I, that's for you to, to decide why you want to be a lawyer in the first place. Like Ben, have you ever met a family member, friend or family member or something and, and been like, Oh, did you ever think about law school? That might be good for you. (laughs) (laughs) No. Have you ever tried to talk someone? Someone is thinking about it and I'm asking why. And there's not a lot of thought as to why. And I, I've thought about this too, and I know we've talked about it a lot on the show, but I think it's this weird thing where lawyers and doctors still persist in the minds of the population that like that's how you end up being someone. You want to be someone, go be a lawyer or a doctor. And it seems so antiquated, but it's still like this underlying current. And so when people don't know what to do with their lives, they think one or the other, and they think, I'm not going to go to med school. That's way too long. So then they default to law school. We need to change it. I mean, it can't be doctors and lawyers anymore. It needs to be doctors and engineers. It needs to be doctors and engineers and, yes, just scientists who get stuff done, who move yeah. the ball forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It. It's it's not the career in in many many cases or most cases even it's just or not coders, the career. I would that, even say like because computers are taking over the world, right? So well, I would yeah I would lump that into engineers, but yeah, yeah. you know, it's like you, your most people aren't going to make the money they think they're going to make. 
They're not going to do the kind of work they think they're going to do. They're not going to have this thriving, successful career. There's a reason why every lawyer you meet tries to talk you out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've been to law school. I'm trying to talk you out of it. Ben's been to law school. He's trying to talk you out of it. Every lawyer you meet, they're trying to talk you out of it. If all of us can't talk you out of it, then maybe it's the right thing for you. Yeah. But I'm not going to spin this in any kind of a positive way and try to. (laughs) Did you want to use this as an opportunity to talk about the Logic Games thing? I did, but I think at this point we just move forward. Also, (laughs) (laughs) um, I was going to say, you mentioned Rachel Gezersay's episode, and that is episode 178. And apparently we had her on again at 196. I don't know why I can't remember this stuff, but... Um, that just made me think we should probably have her back another time. But um, in any case, it's episodes 178 and 196 for those who want to We had to her on twice? Apparently, yeah. I'm looking at the show notes. I mean, it's clear that she was on the second time as well. So. I don't know why I only remember one of those. Yeah, <laughs> Should she have some specific thing that she wanted to talk about the second well, time? Well, we had her on about JD MBAs. Oh, oh. And then she came on to talk about her book probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Which is Early the Law Lawyer. Career Playbook. Yeah. Yes. Law Career Playbook. I just recommended it last night uh, to some random person who was tweeting me or whatever. And um, yeah, check, you know, because people, people do, they like, I, my numbers out there and my Twitter handles out there and my emails out there. So people always contact me and yeah. ask me questions, which I really appreciate, you know. But when people are like, hey, I want to talk to you about whether law is the right career for me. I'm like, I never practiced law. To me, it seems miserable. Like, I've said everything I have to say about it a bazillion times on the podcast. I don't think it's the right thing for anybody. (laughs) But if you're convinced that it's the right thing for you, then, you know, I'll help you get there. I'll help you go to law school for free. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if I talk you out of it and you never pay me a dime – that's a win. Like I sleep soundly because I am very clear that I do not think most people should be on this path. Yeah. You want to do this LR question? Let's do it. This is uh, from test 65 section four, the ninth question, logical reasoning. Uh, I am not reading the question stem first because that's the worst LSAT tip that's out there. That's the turd of all turds. Um, oh, this is a great question, by the way, because of I just you made me look at the question stem. Mm-hmm. It has the words "if true" in it, so we can talk. Yeah, about Yeah, well, again. actually, so let's flip it then. All right, let's think <laughs> about what happens if we read the question stem first. It says the statements above, if true, most strongly support which one of the following? Does that do anything to help us answer this question? Like, do you, can you predict an answer right now, Ben? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's actually probably A because that's more likely to be the answer uh, in the early <laughs> part of the Maybe we should test. skim the answer choices <laughs> as well and then read the passage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's useless. It, uh, so a girl in class last night, Ben, goes, but if I don't read the question stem first, then how can I skip through the question, the section and decide which questions to do? What? Oh, my God. Well, it's like... You have bigger problems. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, no, that's exactly my point is that why would you skip around? Yeah. One of my students in class, Michael, chimed in. Shout out to Michael if he's listening to the podcast. But Michael chimed in and he goes, why would you skip around? They already put the easy ones at the beginning of the section. 
I was like, <laughs> well put. <laughs> I mean, that's true. They do put the easy ones at the beginning of the section, so you shouldn't be skipping around. You should be doing them in order from the beginning of the section. The other problem Stop. with that assumption is that like different question types are harder. Like really, people are obsessed with Right, which they're not. Yeah. When there's a parallel reasoning question in the first 10, it's easy. Frequently, it's the easiest of all of the questions. Like, they're, the wrong answers will just... I'm like, now, maybe it might be a little bit more time-consuming, but who cares if it's a little bit more time-consuming if it's an easy, correct answer? Yeah. You know, we need to be thinking about harvesting the low-hanging fruit. And if that one is is there to be gotten in the first 10 or even first 15... It's it's easier than whatever those questions are that come at the end of the section. You know, if if you like, let's say you think you're good at, oh, I don't know, what's a question type that people think they're good at? Um, think they're good at conclusion questions, at, maybe. Okay, you think you're good at a conclusion question? Sure. All right. If there's a conclusion question number twenty three, I guarantee that that ain't an easy question. Yeah, there, there's a few conclusion questions that are notorious because the conclusion is implied. People are scratching their heads. Or or there's just a whole bunch of – they don't give you any keywords, right? The, the, I guarantee if it's a number 23 like – I shouldn't guarantee, but more often than not, if it's late in the section and it's a main conclusion question, they're not going to give you the keyword indicators and the conclusion might not even be explicitly stated. Yep. So now are you good at conclusion questions or do you think maybe you should do question number one, whatever that question was, because that's always easy. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest question one I've ever seen was a difficulty three, which is still easy for the vast majority of test takers. Right. Don't read the question stem first. It's not helping you. It's hurting you. Don't do it. All right. Here's the argument. Birds and mammals can be infected with West Nile virus only through mosquito bites. That's interesting. It's the only way you can get it, Ben. Yeah, it's a pretty strong uh, claim. If you're, a, if you're a bird or a mammal. Yep. I guess if you're a frog, um, you could maybe get it another way. Hmm. Yep. Um, or an insect. You could certainly get it another way. Although you do get it through mosquito bites, ironically, if you're a mosquito. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Mosquitoes in turn. Oh, no. Here, they're going to tell us. Oh, yeah, they do. Mosquitoes Uh, in turn become infected with the virus when they bite certain infected birds or mammals. No shit. Not telling me anything I didn't know there. Okay. The virus was originally detected in northern Africa and spread to North America in the 1990s. Fun facts about West Nile virus. Okay. Humans sometimes catch West Nile virus, but the virus never becomes abundant enough in human blood to infect a mosquito. Hmm. You know, one thing about that, if I had read all that, I would already know that this is a supported question before I even read the question stem. Yep. They're all facts. None of these claims are being used to support another claim. There's no logic there. They're not making an argument. They're not trying to prove anything. They're just giving you fun facts about West Nile virus. Yep. So we would know that it's a must be true or a supported question before we even ever read that question stem. What are you thinking here before you start reading the answer choices? Well, 
when I read that very last claim, it says humans sometimes catch West Nile virus, which isn't really surprising, but more the second part. But the virus never becomes abundant enough in human blood to infect a mosquito. I'm like, yep. okay, so yep. we do know that mosquitoes in turn become infected with the virus when they bite certain infected birds or mammals, but it must not be the case that they become infected with the virus from humans. So that's one thing. I'm just putting that, kind of putting those facts together. I mean, I'm not really putting them together. I'm more just like trying to clarify what's exactly being said here. Which to me would indicate, I mean, I would be going the next step, right? Sure. Like, mm-hmm. well, it came from Northern Africa to North America in the 1990s. Humans can catch it, but humans can't give it back to mosquitoes. So it must have come over with mosquitoes or with birds or other mammals. Like it anything got other over than you. humans. Just not humans, right? Yeah. Right. Like well, a human could have been infected with it in Africa 100%. and come to North America and died of West Nile virus. But it wouldn't be in that person's blood enough to infect a mosquito here and give it West Nile virus from So that human. couldn't have been patient 0. Yep. You know, this is just common sense. I mean, maybe I play too much pandemic or maybe I watch too many apocalypse virus movies or whatever. But, I mean, I naturally start thinking about, well, then how did it infect North America? If a human came over here with West Nile, it, they didn't spread it. Yeah. But it did spread here. Yeah. Which means an infected frog or bat or bird or... Maybe a cloud of mosquitoes that were already infected with West Nile virus flew over here. <laughs> it's possible, right? It's not ruled out by these facts. No, but the facts do rule out humans bringing it to North America. Yep. They could have had it, okay. like you said, and come here, but they wouldn't have spread the virus here. By the way, one thing that we're doing right now is we're taking the facts that they gave us and we're focusing on what we can and can't properly infer from those facts. I want to, what I want to talk about here is that this is the skill that a lot of people fail to take time to develop. They just read the facts and then they go into the passage and they need to take the time to figure out, you know, what must be true given what was said from those facts. How do the facts relate to each other? What can you and what can you not necessarily infer from them? But the other skill I want to talk about, which kind of surprises me, but um, and we've talked about this before, but it still just stuns me that some people, they not only struggle with the ability to put the facts together that they've already read, but they struggle with the individual facts themselves in the sense that they just they read too quickly, and then I ask them what was said, and we can't even get into like what can you infer by putting these facts together? Because when they regurgitate the facts that they thought they read, it's like 70% correct. And then they like slip in something that's inaccurate or they, or they um, just drop something from the sentence, which actually radically changes the meaning. And I'm like, just read that sentence again. Did you see what it actually says? Anyways. I think there are two critical facts here that the people that they would be most likely to forget. 
Yeah. I, I see people forgetting the thing that was said first, and I see people forgetting the thing that was said last. The thing that was said first here, if you forget that birds and mammals can only get West Nile from a mosquito, yeah, you completely miss the point. You're not going to understand why the right answer is right here if you forget that the only way it spreads is from a mosquito bite. Mm-hmm. Right? If you let, if you forget that fact, then you would think, oh, so if a human came over here, then the human could pass it to other humans. Well, and it's like, no, no, the mosquito had to be one of the vectors. Yeah, had to be the vector, the only mm-hmm. vector. Mm-hmm. They also could easily forget the virus never becomes abundant enough in human blood to infect a mosquito. So you're you're just using like space the word out at the end. I, I agree. You're using the word forget. I would say it never registers. For right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that is what I mean. I, yeah. I don't mean, no, I mean, they didn't, it, it never got in there in the first place. I mean, it bounced off of them. They just, they read it. It was words, words, words. They were so focused on the next sentence that they didn't really digest the first sentence. I think the one superpower on logical reasoning is to just stop after every premise. Yes. And make sure that it's like going in. You have to, you have to personalize that. Yeah. Right. My thing about frogs, like I read the first thing and I was like, oh, so frogs maybe could get it some other way. 98% of test takers, maybe 99, aren't thinking that. They're not taking, they didn't even get the, what the first sentence is saying. I stop people. I say, what did that say? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Like um, birds and animals can get West Nile from mosquitoes. Did you just say they can (laughs) get it from mosquitoes? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No. Right. It said you don't a say lot the word only more. there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, People, I get it. They're almost offended sometimes. It's like, yeah, right. I understand what it said. No, yeah, don't. I agree. All these words are simple words, but the sentence combining them together has a very specific right. meaning, and you lost that meaning. Or you never. Yeah, it's lawyer got shit. It. Yeah. You don't understand how the, this is lawyer shit. The, uh, LSAT logical reasoning will make you a better lawyer for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's no question. You know, these shitty law schools, they should start teaching LSAT logical reasoning. <laughs> they should. Well, they, because I mean, their, their students smarter. came in with one, with poor logical reasoning. Yeah. It's like, right. okay, let's, that's let's why actually bump that up to 160. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're sucking in law school and sucking on the bar exams because they aren't good enough at logical reasoning in the first place. Yeah. The, the student's mindset, the novice mindset is it's a time test. I have to hurry. I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't have time to, to sit there and digest that first sentence. I got to read the second sentence and the third sentence and the fourth sentence, because I have to get to the question. Cause I have to get to the answer choices. And I would argue. Like, okay. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I would argue they no. don't even think about it as sentences. They think about it as a passage. They just like read. Oh yeah. Right. It's like Stream one of consciousness. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Which one must be true. Okay. And then they're into <laughs> the answer choices and they have no idea. They have no idea, but you and I are everybody who's an expert or even high intermediate. You're going to get to go faster because you went slower up front. You go slower on the passage and then you get to go quickly through the answer choices. We, what we did, Ben, is we made some inferences from the facts. We read the yeah. facts correctly, we read them carefully. We noticed that the facts combined together. We know West Nile got to North America somehow. We know that humans can't transfer it back to mosquitoes. We know that mosquitoes are the only way birds and mammals can get it. And so from all that, we can properly infer that humans 
couldn't have been the ones that first brought it and spread it in North America. Now we're asked to find an answer uh, that is strongly supported. The statements above, if true, most strongly support which one of the following? <laughs> That's another reason, Ben, why the, by the way, why reading the question stem first is dumb, because you always have to read it again after you read the passage. So yeah. you're just doing a longer version of the test. Read it once. Read the passage first, then read the question stem once, then answer the damn question. All right. So we're looking for one. This is top down. We're looking for one that's supported by these facts. And we've already made a pretty damn good prediction because we put the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. So tell me what you think of A. West Nile virus will never become a common disease among humans. Nope. Way too strong. Um, Humans can get it. Yeah. They can't spread it human to human. And they can't spread it human to mosquito to human. But we have all sorts of filthy animals around us our pets and rodents that follow us around. And as far as we know, West Nile virus is already a common disease among humans. Yep. Okay. B says, we're looking for one that's proven by these facts, ideally. Yeah. B, West Nile virus is most common in those parts of North America with the highest density of mosquitoes. This answer choice is wrong by saying it's the most common we know that mosquitoes can transmit this disease, but we don't know how many of those mosquitoes in the highest density areas have West Nile and how many of, even if they were all had West Nile, how many of them are biting other animals? And I don't, it's just, yeah. Some people problems. are going to pick that answer because it's like stands to reason Sort of thing, it's not right? unreasonable. Like, yeah, in the real world, and given the facts that were stated, mosquitoes are a necessary vector for West Nile. So, mm -hmm. in the area where there's the highest density of mosquitoes, that would stand to reason that you're going to have a West Nile problem. Yeah. But it's very specific, saying that it's most common in those parts of North America that have the highest density of mosquitoes. Like, really, it's the most prevalent there. Yeah. What about the place that has the second highest density of mosquitoes? Or, um, not or only you that, end up but... with a high density of mosquitoes who somehow avoided the West Nile virus, right? They just never oh. came in contact and then – What if when the density of mosquitoes is too high, all the mammals die and West <laughs> Nile can't be spread anymore? Yeah. You know, it could be – if the density of mosquitoes is too high, then malaria could be running rampant and it could be that malaria prevents West Nile. Who knows? There can, there's a million reasons. In the areas that have the highest density of mosquitoes, maybe people use DEET all the time, and DEET kills West Nile. Yep. I mean, the, there's a, literally you could go on all day with different reasons why B doesn't have to be true. I'm looking for something that has to be true. C, some people who become infected with West Nile virus never show symptoms of illness. Okay. We have no idea about the symptoms. The facts are about transmission, not about symptoms at all. D, West Nile virus infects more people in Northern Africa than it does in North America. Same problem that we were talking about with B. I have no idea where it's Again, it's prevalent. like it might stand to reason. It started there. Started there, so maybe there's more people that have it there. But didn't coffee drinking originate somewhere other than the United States and then get passed to the United States? And then, then we, and we drink more Starbucks coffee than anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, D does not have to be true. E, West Nile virus was not carried to North America via an infected person. 
This is actually one of the things we talked about. It's the thing we talked about. It's the thing that can be predicted based on these facts. Yeah. If you're tuned in to these facts, you would have said something like, oh, so patient zero in North America can't be a human. Yep. Even if you didn't predict that, though, even if you didn't focus on the transmission from Africa to North America for some reason, if you understood these facts clearly when you read this, you'd be like, okay, that has to be true. You know, though, if you weren't thinking about transmission, then I don't think you were thinking about the individual premises very carefully. The first premise is about transmission. The second premise is about transmission. The fourth premise is about transmission. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, that, that's what they were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I just... I think if you, yeah, sometimes sometimes in these cases, people don't always predict exactly what the LSAT is thinking, and maybe they need to dig deeper. But as long as they understood the sentences really well, I'd be confident that they could get rid of these answers and find the correct one. But it would be better. It would be better if they had found I feel it. you on that. There's multiple ways to get there. Yeah. But I want people to tune in. I want... They, if you have done any kind of LSAT practice at all, you've realized that they are laying out the breadcrumbs for you and inviting you to make the connections that are there to be made. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the game. Like, do you want to do the test the easy way or do you want to do the test the hard way? The easy way here is to pick up on the fact that they told you that the birds and mammals can only get it transmitted to them one way. And then the thing that can transmit it to them can only get it back in another in this other way mm-hmm. and then the last premise says well but mosquitoes can't get it back from humans though yeah and like of course the purpose of this question is to complete that circle and realize that if west nile came to north america it did not come here via humans mm-hmm. okay let's go ahead and wrap it up there yeah cool Cool, cool. Join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. Uh, we have pages at LSAT Demon, at Thinking LSAT. You can follow at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon on Instagram as well. We have YouTube channels for the Demon and for the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm at NFox on Twitter. Uh, the show is at Thinking LSAT on Twitter. Websites, LSATdemon.com, ThinkingLSAT.com. You guys know how to use Google. Google those two, <laughs> Google LSAT Demon and Google Thinking LSAT, and you're going to find a whole bunch of our shit. Yeah. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening and for telling a friend. Um, we really appreciate it. This is always the favorite part of my week, Ben. I, I Nothing satisfies me more than the podcast, which we do completely for free. So, I mean, we did the podcast way before we ever had the Demon. So <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. for constantly shilling for the Demon so much on the show. But, um, you know, the the demon wouldn't have existed if it were, weren't for the show. That's true. So um, mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the show, yeah, check out for sure the free trial of LSAT Demon if you haven't already. Let us know what you think of it. That was episode 263 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. 